All right, and welcome back to the Teacher Empowerment Summit 2019. I'm very excited to introduce our next speaker. Kim Strobel is a teacher, education consultant, motivational speaker, and happiness coach. During her 20-year career, she's partnered with teachers and students at all levels in order to implement innovative and inspirational practices in the classroom, increase academic achievement, and create positive school-wide climates. As a sought-after presenter and speaker who's appeared on stages across the country, she emphasizes the importance of professional and personal happiness and motivates her audiences to live empowered lives, which makes her an amazing fit for the Teacher Empowerment Summit. Kim is a diehard runner and an advocate for her community's abandoned animals, of which she's rescued and rehomed more than 100, not only in her own home. Uh, she and her husband, Scott, have four children, two grandchildren, and four fur babies. Currently. So with that, I'm happy to welcome Kim Strobel to the Teacher Empowerment Summit. Hi, Hello, Kim. I'm happy to be here and excited to have this conversation today. Excellent. Uh, so just to, to kind of say hello, where are you calling us from today? So I'm in southern Indiana, a little bitty town called Tell City, about an hour from Evansville, Indiana. Yeah. All right. Um, and one of our questions for all speakers, what was the, the most recent school that you were in? So last week, I was actually at Yorktown Elementary up in Muncie, Indiana, about four hours north. Um, we have this huge standards-based grading initiative that we are doing with them over the next three years. So um, my consultant and I, uh, my associate, we both spent two days working with teachers, which always reignites us, you know, because when you do this consulting work, you feel alive again when you're around teachers. Um, so I came back really excited and fired up and, and ready to work in my office the rest of the week. Excellent. Yeah, one of the, uh, the reviews I just actually read off of your site recently was, uh, was from one of the, the PDs and a teacher saying that um, Kim, Kim and her consultants really understand what it is to be a teacher. Uh, and that they, you know, felt enlivened instead of deadened after, uh, as <laughs> happens after some PDs. So it was excellent to, to see that and uh, one of the reasons that we have you here as well. Um, so since this is the Empowerment Summit and you're all about empowering teachers, what is the key idea you'd like to talk to today, uh, talk about today that you believe would empower educators and that you think every educator would benefit from knowing? Well, I think the key idea that I would like to talk about is called the science of happiness. Um, and this is so important to me because I feel like in this profession, you know, this has been really hard on our teachers who, who went into this job because they know that they have the power to influence and impact our students. But the profession has become overly demanding, very overwhelming, and teachers are just experiencing rampant burnout. And so my goal is to really help them reclaim their, their professional joy, but also their personal joy, which has gone out the door at times um, within this profession. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, I know Austin and I, we, uh, I guess, kind of troll the teacher forms of Reddit in order to, to see what topics are and see kind of what, what's trending. And one of the questions that comes up all the time is, uh, you know, basically, is it okay to try to be happy as a teacher? Um, and there's always a concerning number of people writing in that you kind of just have to give up happiness and sacrifice yourself for your students. Uh, and I, I mean, I think we would both agree that that's obviously not ideal for a lot of reasons. Um, one thing that kind of stands out there is you say the science of happiness. And I think um, not only is maybe happiness not normally considered part of the teaching profession, uh, you know, as like a, a required part, 
Um, but also to kind of combine the word science with happiness is a little unusual. Uh, so what is this science of happiness that teachers can benefit from? Yes, well, we're, we're definitely seeing this trend that, you know, we've all been living in what they've been calling the knowledge age, which has just been, you know, we've been overrun with knowledge and trying to attain those skills in order to make more money, in order to buy ourselves some happiness. And what we know is that that really hasn't worked. And so happiness is really coming to the forefront because in this day and age, people have overloaded schedules. There's this chaotic busyness that's going on in our lives all of the time. And we've really lost meaning and aliveness and engagement and wellness. And so people are really searching that out. You know, as a happiness coach, I have people all of the time who are asking me, how do I, like, I really can increase my happiness. And I say, yes, you know, we, we look at the research that's straight out of Harvard University, um, Sean Aker and Martin Seligman. And just to kind of give you a vision for the happiness research, I want you to think of happiness as everyone has a baseline level of happiness. Um, so yours might be here and, and mine might be here. And what happens is you and I, we both go out and we get a new job or we get a new house or we buy a new car or we go on vacation and both of our happiness levels will go up for a period of time, but they almost always reset back to whatever your baseline is. Um, and it happens really quickly. Now what's interesting and sometimes hard to even wrap our brain around, but the same scientific research comes back from whenever we endure like really bad things in our life. So when there's a trauma or a loss or a stressful event in our life, we go from our baseline down, we drop in our happiness levels, but the brain has this uncanny ability to somehow almost always reset itself back to the baseline after a period of time. Okay, so, now, uh, especially for the, the little happiness spikes from vacation or especially purchases, um, I think we know as teachers that vacations aren't always the thing that you get to uh, you know, schedule for yourself necessarily, but especially um, I think of purchases or the uh, you know, school supply or the coffee of the day or whatever that um, I'm kind of imagining like it's spiking, but that because you're saying it goes back down each time, um, that obviously we're not building up our, our general level of happiness with each purchase, uh, especially, you know, you mentioned a little kind of that consumer mentality that um, is difficult to, to kind of cope with, I guess, in society as well. I'm hoping that uh, that baseline is something that we're able to adjust, though, and that maybe that's the focus. Yes. And Actually, so, okay. Yes. <laughs> like, uh -oh, I, I this, this is almost dark. Okay. This kind of overarching picture. If you picture happiness as a pie chart, Okay, so where does that baseline level come from? If we're in a pie chart, the research shows that 50% of your long-term happiness comes genetically. It, it's a mixture of maybe your mom or your dad or both. And sometimes when I tell educators this, like they start to hang their head. They're like, I'm so screwed, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I've been trapped by my unhappy parents or genetics. Right, right. But we know this to be true because we see people all of the time who are dealing with like the same type of job, the same type of expectations, and they just kind of roll with it. They just don't tend to let it affect them as much as others. And then there's others of us who are like taking antidepressants 
and um, you know, broken out in hives and just like really feeling the enormous stress. And so 50% of that is genetic. There's nothing you can really do to change that 50%. It's just, we wanna draw attention to the fact that 50% of your long-term happiness does have a genetic disposition. Okay. The thing that has surprised me is that 10% and only 10% of your long-term happiness is based on your external circumstances. What that means is only 10% of your long-term happiness comes from the kind of job you have, the kind of money you make, the kind of home you live in. And that is a powerful statement because all of us, Jesse, me included, we are all guilty of letting an external circumstance rob us of way more than 10% of our happiness, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes, and so the science says though, that it's really only responsible for 10%, which this is a hard truth that I have to tell people, which is this, then you're allowing it to steal more of your happiness and that's on you that's really on you. Like we all have these bad things that happen where it's totally normal that we would let it eat up more than 10% of that pie. But then do we have the ability to bounce back and how quickly can we bounce back from that? And so all the time I hear people saying, well, if I had a different job, I would be way more, you know, way happier. If I made more money, which to be honest, Jesse, I think if I made more money too, I would maybe be happier, but the research will tell you over and over again, it's such a small increase in happiness. Now, the part that has fired me up the most as I have researched this for the last 15 years is if 50% is genetic, 10% is your external circumstances, that leaves 40%. And what we know from the research is that every single human being has the ability to increase their happiness levels by up to 40%. And that's the piece that I've implemented in my life in the last 10 years. I have intentional happiness habits that are a part of my everyday life. I really, it's not that I don't have struggles, it's not that I don't have darkness. My goodness, if you knew my backstory, you would know I did. But I can tell you that I wake up every single day super excited to live my life. And I believe it's because I've taken control of that other 40%. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there is a lot within that. Um, I, I mean, the, the 10% alone, I think, uh, again, if not only, you know, are you saying they're temporary spikes? So every time you go and purchase something, uh, maybe that temporary spike of, hey, I just got a bigger TV slightly, right? Um, and I guess a lot stands out to me that, you know, we already know all of that's relative. You get a 40 inch and somebody else has a 50 inch TV, uh, you know, and you have no idea if they're actually happy either, but because you tried to pin happiness on this external circumstance, you, you know, that can be taken away pretty quickly as well. Um, one of the stories that, uh, you know, we use at Teachers Starting Fire a lot was one of the years that like my first or second year teaching, for whatever reason, we had a paper shortage in the school. Um, and we're all pretty sure that the principal was basically like that was his way of just cutting down copies for a moment was like, hey, for a week or two, no paper in the copy room. Good luck, right? Um, 
not not ideal, obviously, but I just I remembered um, kind of as a you know starting out professional teacher that about half of the teachers you know for a day or two probably that negative impact, but we're pretty much back to the same place, and that while it was inconvenient, they kind of stopped talking about it pretty soon, you know, and it wasn't the topic of conversation. But I also remember for about half the teachers, for those two weeks, they they acted like, you know, their job or their pay had been taken away or that things were falling apart. And and at the time, you know, it was kind of like, I, I didn't think about it much, but as I got further away from that event, it just stood out like how half of the teachers were very miserable and angry and upset at their the external circumstance of that lack of copy paper. Um, so, I mean, it, it sounds like the research should suggest that most of that, you know, and at the time too, I was aware, but that it's mostly their own internal reaction to that circumstance. Um, I mean, the, the teachers watching this summit, just those ideas alone, I think, are, are already going to give a pretty good framework of realizing, you know, at everything that there's 40% of their own happiness that they're in control of. Um, one of the things that I definitely liked hearing was your mention of specific happiness habits. Um, that is kind of one of the big focuses is practical steps that teachers can take away from this summit. Uh, outside of just that concept of the happiness research showing that that really is something you have some control over, I guess the question then that I know I'm wondering, I think a lot of the viewers will be, um, but what are those habits kind of like, what are those first steps um, that you would recommend for a teacher that wants to maybe take back control of the 40% of their life there or the 40% of their happiness? Yeah, well, I'm happy to go there, but I want to do two little clarifications there because what you said is absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, it's funny, you know, my son's basketball team um, lost their regional championship game this weekend. And I'm going to tell you, Jesse, I mean, I was upset. I'm still upset, you know, like we're going on day four and I'm still resisting that this happened. Um, and so it's really normal for all of, like, I don't want people to think that we're telling you because I think there's this like cultural thing going on right now, which is just be positive, just, you know, and I don't think that that works either because, you know, there's this new term out called emotional agility and we we don't want to shut down your emotions. So if you're feeling angry or you're feeling upset or ticked off, like it's okay. Allow yourself to have that feeling, right? Because we even do this with little kids. We say, don't be sad. You know, don't be, you have to allow yourself to have that feeling. So be ticked off that there's a paper shortage. But if you're still ticked off three days later, then that's where the problem lies, right? because then you truly are allowing yourself just to ruminate on it. Um, and so what we're saying is like, don't deny your feelings, allow yourself to have those feelings, but make sure that you don't allow it to take up more than it's shared space for a period of time. And, and when we look at that pie chart, if 50% is genetic and 40% is up for grabs, that truly means then that 90% of your long-term happiness, you know, comes from those two things, your genetic disposition and your ability to create those happiness habits. So I'm gonna give you the top five happiness habits that are research-based. And um, when I travel the country and I do the Science of Happiness keynote um, for many, many schools, 
we kind of break down the happiness research and we talk about how your happiness is directly related to your success. But then many times we come back in, you know, a year later for the second keynote, which is a total focus on what are these five happiness habits. And so the first one I'm going to give you is really gratitude. And, you know, we've heard Oprah preach this for years. But what we know is that when we can train your brain to constantly pick out what's going right rather than focusing on what's going wrong, that after 21 days of doing that, we actually form new neural pathways in the brain. So my recommendation is a gratitude journal and for 21 days to jot down three different, now this is important, three different things you are thankful for every single day. For me, I now do 10. Every morning I do my meditation, I jot down my 10 things I'm thankful for. And as I've done this over the last 10 years, what I've noticed, Jesse, is I'm out on a run and I'm noticing the green grass or the smell of Easter flowers that are popping up. Like you start to scan the world for all that's right, versus all that's wrong. And so gratitude is one of my top five happiness habits, comes right out of Sean Aker's research. Um, the second habit is exercise. Oh, the, oh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The first habit, just um, one, the, uh, the idea of new neural pathways for um, you know, teachers who maybe, like we all have a little brain research on that, but could you explain uh, you know, a little of the physiology on that? Or just like, what is a new neural pathway? Why is that important yeah. for happiness? So, yeah, so we all have this circuitry in our brains, which is why, like, have any of you ever been around like the negative Nelly? Like the person that God loved their soul, they just simply cannot focus on what's good. They're always complaining about something. So like, for instance, I have someone that I love very much, but when she comes to my house, she can tell me that there's a scratch on my floor, that there's scuff marks on the baseboards and that did I know my lamp is broken and you know and it's just like her circuitry has been trained over the years probably because she has a genetic disposition towards it and she's never worked on that 40% so her neurochemistry the, the chemicals that are circulating in her brain this little pathway becomes like automatic for her it's just this feedback loop that constantly goes and so what we know is we want to change the circuitry the neural feedback loop what your brain is used to noticing and acknowledging and so what we do is when we reset that towards positive we actually change your brain chemistry and we change that feedback loop because the, the more you repetitively do it the more that becomes the new normal okay so that, that feedback loop, um, I've heard it under a couple names, but basically the idea of like when you buy a blue car, suddenly you notice every other blue car and you never thought about it. Seems like a similar idea that if you, you know, purchase uh, kind of positive things about the world, that's what you start to notice more and more of. Yeah, those um, things grow. Okay. The, the other kind of clarification, I know uh, just anytime I've read about gratitude journals, it can be, you emphasize different as well. It can be pretty tricky for people, even three things at first. If they come up with one or two and are getting stuck, do you have any tips to kind of, uh, to focus in on something or how, how they find another thing to be grateful for? Yeah. So for me, don't overthink it. Like this morning when I did mine, I was thankful for my breath. 
I was thankful that I see tulips blooming in my garden. I was thankful that I have a loving husband. I was thankful that I have an independent son. I was thankful that we have heat in our house. I was thankful that we have running water. Like, just don't overthink it. You know, honest to goodness, at this point, I could sit here and probably come up with 500, but that's because my body is so used to now scanning the world and seeing that. So don't be like, oh, that's not a strong enough gratitude. Like sometimes I, yesterday I was thankful for my skin that works so hard to protect my body, you know? So it doesn't have to be like this giant thing that you're thankful for. Um, but the important thing is they, we do want three new things for 21 days because okay. that's really important to that feedback connection, um, getting stronger. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, that sounds good. The, a lot of those almost sound like it's a good way to stop taking so many things for granted that, um, uh, you know, I, uh, I, there's a lot of different, I guess, like comedians out there that kind of joke about how we're, we're so upset that our phone takes a couple extra seconds, even though it's like this magical device that lets us talk to people on the other side of the planet. And all we find out is like, we're upset that it dropped a video for a second, as opposed to kind of the miracle that it works at all. Uh, it seems like a, a good way to kind of reprogram that habit so many people have as well. Um, all right. So habits two through five. <laughs> yes. Okay. So the next one I want to talk about is exercise. You have to move your body. Um, and many times I feel like I get resistance on this one because, um, you know, I'm a marathon runner. So I, I'll just be honest. I run 30 miles a week. I, I do spin class twice a week. This is, I have an athletic body. I'm made like this, but I tell people all of the time that I live in a town where there's this huge phenomenon going on. They had the biggest losers come in about five years ago. And there are people who have had two knee replacements who are 200 pounds overweight, who are now training for half marathons because it is a mindset. It truly is. And so many times when I tell people, they go, I could never be a runner. Well, we're not asking you to be a runner. Just find some way to move your body, whether it be yoga, Pilates, stretching. But what we know is you need to be moving your body every day. And that is going to make endorphins really pump into your brain, which is going to elevate your happiness. So we, I mean, there's so much research on why we need to exercise, but I tell people all of the time, it doesn't matter to me how you move your body. I just want you to make an intentional act of beginning to move your body. So do the hard thing. Walk in the gym. Get a membership. Find a workout partner. Take walks. You know, find something that makes you move your body because that is one of the top five as well. Okay. Um, yeah, that within our own framework for adventure education, which is kind of the, the teacher starting fire focus, fitness and food fall onto that kind of the self-care triangle. Um, you know, for, for our background, we do a little, or kind of took a lot of stuff from our work with adventure guides. And we so often would run into people that like had the attitude of, oh, I'm too busy to eat, which is great for a day or something. But if you're out, you know, a hundred miles from, from care, or like, you know, a 16 hour flight from somewhere, it does not work well to have your guide be the one that passes out from not eating. Um, and so like to really work that in, but on the teaching side, I absolutely agree on that. Um, one article that, uh, that I found recently as well said that physical exercise is one of the top ways to build up a desire to eat healthier as well. 
um, which just like that, that, and for me, I think part of it's just that you're making this like continuous awareness, but that if you're doing the effort of physical movement, you're naturally going to feel a little worse every time you reach for French fries from McDonald's or whatever, because you know, you already put some effort into improving your body that day. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean that, yes, obviously exercise is going to be great. Although I don't know if I'd ever made specifically the happiness connection with it, which is just yeah. a reason to keep ourselves alive. Yeah. Well, and ex what exercise does is it teaches the brain that behavior matters. So exercise reinforces that idea that the actions you take and the behaviors that you take actually matter. And when that's reinforced, then there's this really strong connection between taking action and reaping the reward. Okay. Again, we're working with the brain chemistry as well. All right. Uh, so habit three. All right. Habit three is meditation. Meditation. All right. Now, back when I had my own classroom um, and I taught my kids to meditate, I remember um, back then it was like a woo wooey thing. Like the school administrators were super kind, but they're like, Strobel, you can't be calling it meditation. Like our parents will freak out, right? And now we know that this is a widely accepted thing. I mean, one of the things that we teach is mindfulness, you know, in the classroom because we know the importance of it, not just for our students, but for everyone. And so what we know is, um, and I'm going to give you a couple of apps, by the way, that really help you with that. Okay. I've been meditating for years. Um, that doesn't mean when I don't sit in that rocker that you see behind me, which is my little meditation spot. Um, you know, my practice for that is I light a candle. Um, personally, I have a prayer. I say the serenity prayer. Then I get my gratitude journal out. I put the date and I put I am thankful and I list out my 10 things. And then I click on the Ananda app. So the Ananda app, A-N-A-N-D-A, is a meditation app, app by Deepak Chopra that I find really helpful. It's a guided meditation and you can set it for three minutes. You can set it for 22 minutes, whatever you want. But I want to give you a free one that's free just for educators. It's called the Calm app and it's free for educators. And I have a lot of teachers who are also using this in the classroom. But meditation is definitely one of the top five happiness habits because what we know is that basically allows your brain to kind of get over this whole cultural ADHD, you know, that we've been creating by multitasking all of the time. That's what we do. We multitask all of the time. We go through our to-do list. We check off the next thing. And we never allow our brain that space to just truly be present in the moment. So my tips are not to get frustrated. I don't care. Sit there and have 10,000 thoughts if you need to. But give yourself that space to sit there and, and give it a try. All right. Um... Yeah, I'm actually, I, uh, so for all of the viewers, um, we get, you know, the, the speakers and I talk a little bit beforehand, but we don't always have a full outline of everything, of course, because that's the point of the interview. Uh, and so for me, finding out these five habits, uh, kind of seeing each one go through, most of them, I think, are something we've probably heard of in education before. I know for me, um, I taught a, at a very uh, high risk, it was like 99% free and reduced lunch, and plenty of the the research for trauma-informed students 
shows that mindfulness can reduce behavior, uh, you know, the negative behaviors. It can reduce fighting. It can reduce kind of uh, negative interactions with administration as well. Um, you know, for the student side of it, but it it is also used, and I guess it's that difference of kind of meditation was the the woo woo like what is she doing to our students? Whereas now a little bit later, uh, mindfulness is just scientifically accepted as like this actually has measurable improvements in numerous types of schools. It's um, it's neat to hear that being applied to the teacher as well. And um, you know, I, if you agree with it, but I would say definitely as a teacher, find time uh, for meditation for yourself as well and don't just consider any time that you're doing it with the students as meditation for you because if you're facilitating that and kind of you know managing classroom behavior at the time you're definitely or i would think definitely not getting the same cognitive results as if you are taking the time to do that meditation yeah yeah we we teach a lot of trauma-informed schools and this is a big piece of it but I'd also like to encourage the teachers to, these habits I'm talking about, they are all important to do in the classroom as well. So just to give an example, when my kids got back from lunch and recess, then we all gathered on the floor, we all worked on our breathing, we did a little meditation, and then we did our, um, our gratitude. So it took us 30 seconds and we'd go around and every student would say something they were thankful for. And we did that every day. You know, and some people like to do the gratitude practice um, in the morning, but you also want to train your kids towards positive. So just having them come up with one thing that they're thankful for, or you could do three, but going around the room, then you have, you know, 27 other things that you've heard that people are thankful for, which helps you again, reset your brain. So every habit I'm telling you to do on your own as an educator I would definitely try to implement these in the classroom as well because I think that mental well-being for our students is also a really hot topic that needs to be addressed. Okay, um, habit four then, where do we go from here? Okay, random acts of kindness. Random acts of kindness. What that means, this, this is something that um, I now do naturally. Um, but you can be like really intentional. So this is complimenting someone. This is being in the checkout line at Walmart and appreciating the lady who's working so hard to check out your groceries quickly so that you can get out the door. This is sending a little handwritten note or a nice text message to someone saying why you appreciate them. Um, this is just all of the million little tiny things that you can do that don't even have to cost money. Because what we know is there's a huge ripple effect that happens when people do this. So you've heard of that whole pay it forward. Like you might be in the line at McDonald's and you might pay for the person behind you their meal. And that just like sets off a ripple effect of positivity because the chances are you have just reset that person's brain towards positive. You have brought a smile to their face, which is in then changing the, the brain chemistry that's going on in their head. And then the likelihood that they will then turn and do something nice to someone else increases significantly. And here's the research that you actually, you get more of a happiness boost from performing random acts of kindness than you do receiving random acts of kindness. Okay. Yeah, and that's, uh, that one is, I mean, I, I feel that would be something that teachers are already maybe naturally prone to be able to do. 
and that most of the career is based on helping others and being kind um, and definitely something that could be practiced pretty easily. Um, it's, it's, uh, I was kind of thinking as you were saying that, you know, we're, we're here to empower teachers and you're giving them this tip that will actually help them like empower the rest of the world to feel happy as well. Um, so way, way to reach way beyond the, uh, the scope of the summit as well and help the entire world, which is awesome. Um, glad to see that. And it, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, just that idea of like right now, that idea of, of helping people become happy for themselves by being kind to other people which also increases the chance that that ripples out into the world is pretty excellent, uh, especially for a video that, that will be seen by the entire summit crowd, which is, is really neat to think about. All yes, right, Jesse, so, I actually wanna challenge the people that are watching yes. right now, okay? Because the way you grow is by being uncomfortable, okay? And doing hard things. So what I would like to do is initiate a challenge for all the teachers that are listening. I would like for them to pick up their cell phone right now and choose one person in their life and send that person a text message and just simply say, I just wanted to drop a little note and tell you these are all the things I appreciate about you. Thank you for being in my life. And I really want them to stop this video right now and do this because they're going to be amazed at the response they get back. Perfect. Um, good. So we have uh, not only after the summit are we having our 30 day challenge for teachers to, to really implement everything in the summit, but you're getting a mini challenge right now as, uh, as you're watching Kim Strobel's video here at the Teacher Empowerment Summit. Um, so yes, pause or if you have already done that excellent work, um, you've already sent out one ripple of happiness and generated part of a new neural pathway in your own brain. Um, and we, uh, especially in something like this, where there's, there are these specific elements that are research-based, a lot of this will be worked into that 30-day challenge that's gonna come up after, uh, after the summit that we have here as well. Um, all right, so for our last of the five habits, uh, and then we'll go into just a, a little bit of detail, kind of what this would look like, since you do have very specific steps already, they can start implementing pretty easily, uh, even immediately during this video, as well as, you know, as soon as they watch it or the next day of school. Um, but what is this uh, final and fifth act of, or uh, not act of kindness, but habit of happiness? Okay, it's the one that I struggle with the most. I'm going to be 100% honest. <laughs> Good, you know, all right, it's a challenge, all right. Yes, and it's social connections. Okay. Social connections. So what this means is you make time to socialize with those people that you enjoy spending time with. Um, this is so important. We know the value of relationships. And so being really intentional about making sure that you have, you know, quality time with the people who are important in your life. And so one of the things I've been working on, which I've really been terrible for the last two months, um, is I have a set of girlfriends and we have what we call wine, W-I-N-E, wine down Wednesdays. And three of my girlfriends will come over, they'll spend an hour and a half or two hours, we'll sit around our table with a good bottle of wine or two, and we just talk and we leave feeling like so uplifted and so energized um, but you know, I was really dedicated to that habit towards the end of last year. And then I got in this 
crazy work mode and I was launching my 10 week happiness course on kimstrobel.com and I just have not been making the time to, to do that. And that's really important. Um, you know, it could be quality time with your spouse, uh, which Scott and I do a, a good job of that. I will say we, we try to sit down with no TV and a, a cup of tea or a Moscow mule, depending on the day and have just some, some good solid conversation, but it's something that I know I need to work, work harder on. Yeah. The social connection, one of the ideas that's come up with, um, I mean, several, several speakers are focused pretty specifically on this, but the idea that both teachers and principals each have their own form of isolation. Um, and I mean, I remember student teaching, I worked with a teacher who'd been in the classroom 20 years and, you know, had really gotten into a, almost a, a rut and was not burned out, but almost kind of just not there anymore, right? That like, no matter what was happening in the classroom, it was kind of just going through the same action over and over. Not a bad teacher, but definitely not engaging, not inspiring kind of thing. And, uh, and I think what stood out for me is that like, just after 20 years of, of almost no social interaction, other than just going home um, every single day and coming back the next day, you know, and he, he had his wife at home who was also a teacher at another school, but that was about it. And I think after about 20 years with almost no social interaction and always being, you know, the, the only person in charge, the only, you know, adult level educated person in a room that can really weigh on you and kind of have a, a social toll on you. Um, the idea of, of really setting aside time for other adults and grownups that you're not in charge of, that you're just interacting with socially. Um, I think that's definitely important. And I can also see though why for teachers that that's difficult because at the end of a workday, you can be a bit burned out and not feel like, you know, putting in the effort of coordinating something as well. Yeah. Let um, me give you this one little idea too. Yeah. I work with a lot of schools and um, I have some schools who have implemented what they call fun Fridays. So instead of the dreaded staff meeting at 715 on Fridays, they've gotten rid of the staff meeting and instead they bring their staff together to play games. Um, and because to just interact with one another in a way that doesn't have anything to do with their school-based job. And so what we know is that when it makes those social relationships among the, the staff in the school so much stronger. There's a lot of brain um, research on the importance of play in our life, even as adults. And so just to kind of bring it back on the school, we now have like a teacher groups who, you know, each group comes up with a new game, a minute to win it game or something new to do on Fridays. And it really adds to the morale of the school. So I wanted to just let teachers know there's a way to also implement that particular happiness habit in the school setting if you wanted to as well. Okay, um, perfect. Yeah. And so the uh, basically, I've got uh, two points for kind of the main ideas that I want to cover as well. Um, that the idea of the practical steps, your outline of five habits of happiness, I mean, that is the practical steps. Uh, and they're almost all, I mean, they are all daily habits, especially maybe the social connection one is a little more weekly. Um, you know, don't necessarily have wind down Wednesdays every single day of the week. It would really slow down uh, a lot of the other family life, I think. Um, but, you know, that, that idea of scheduling uh, a date your spouse or your partner night, of scheduling a see your social friends and do something for the sake of being social night, uh, and, and having that built into the calendar is definitely valuable. Um, 
so for the practical steps, it's pretty much outlined. Uh, I think kind of one of the areas, if you could speak on for a second, is just if you had, uh, you know, one of the big focuses um, that, that we have, uh, but that, you know, the more teachers we help, the better. But if you are watching this and you think, man, I'd really love to have more of my peer teachers or my principal, or the rest of the school staff watch this, um, you know, do have them sign up, you know, registration is free, have them get the VIP pass and you'll have access to it all year long, of course, as well, um, or kind of lifetime access with that. Uh, if you're doing that, and so if we have a school where many, many teachers watch this, what are some of the changes that you would expect to see if, let's say, 80, 90, 100% of teachers started following these five habits on a pretty regular basis, if that was part of the school culture? Yes. Well, let me just say this can be really overwhelming because, you know, I have four of the five habits operating on a daily basis. And if you try to do that, I just think you're setting yourself up for failure. So let me okay. say that in order to be practical, what I would like teachers to do is to choose one habit to work on for 21 days and then add a second habit after 21 days, then okay. add a third habit because we really do want to set you up to be successful and we don't want you to quit doing this after three days. So when we look at the big picture of strategically implementing these in your life, that's kind of how I'd like you to view it. And some of the changes you can see is, so the brain research comes back really strong that a positive brain versus a negative, neutral, or stressed brain, all right? So if I were to ask your educators right now, is your brain at positive, is it at negative, is it at neutral, or is it at stressed? I think I know where most of them would be. And so what we know, yeah, what we know and why we get to sent to do a lot of this work like with schools and even corporations is we know that when we can get your brain to positive versus negative neutral or stressed that you will see a 31 percent increase in productivity levels and that is okay. a strong statistic you know we know that people in cells can see a 37 percent increase in cells when their brain is at positive versus negative neutral or stressed Okay. So that's for sure the productivity levels, the engagement levels, the happiness levels, this general idea that your well-being is at the forefront and that it matters to us as your administrators, you know. Yeah, and we, um, I, I always kind of give the, um, the double example of leadership and then in a school you do, of course, have administration being leaders to all the teachers, but then in every single class, more than anything, that teacher is a leader to all of the students. And that same idea of like, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm not in sales. And it's like, well, really every single moment we're trying to sell the act of doing whatever it is we should be doing in class. Um, you know, if you can sell the idea that your English assignment or math assignment is more engaging than the phone, then you're a really great salesperson on that teacher side. Um, so that double level of like, not only should a principal you know, move away from hopefully the old point of view that happiness is just this thing you're responsible for on your own, but here is all about work, uh, but move towards, hey, if your staff is happy, they're actually more productive as well. But then as teachers as well, to realize that if, if uh, our students are happy, then we get more productivity out of them as well, um, which, which is, I think, an excellent idea to take out of this. So the, the last point on this before, um, you know, learning a little bit more about a story of when, when you've seen this work really well, uh, but the last point that kind of came up as I was looking through all these steps 
is the idea of modeling that another speaker brought up, and they brought it up in a different context, but uh, basically about kind of handling things in a mature way. But they pointed out that if you want your students to act in a mature way, um, you really have to be modeling that yourself as a teacher the whole time, or you shouldn't, you know, if, if you kind of stomp your foot and say, I'm the boss, so you have to do this, you really shouldn't expect any better behavior from your students, right? One of the things that is standing out here is that, you know, as teachers, our responsibility is kind of developing students into um, their, their highest potential. And obviously, if they leave with the ability to be 40% happier for the rest of their life, uh, you know, and constantly be working on that, that's a huge advantage. Some of that comes from modeling being happy ourselves. Uh, so just that idea of, I guess, you know, this might be the story time, but do you have an example or, or kind of a, a story of changes you've seen when a teacher or an administrator starts, I guess, applying these happiness habits? Yes. You know, I have interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids um, just because doing my research and trying to understand, you know, how to um, really help them tap into that unlimited potential that resides in all of them and in all of us. And when I ask students, I always ask them, I want to know who your favorite teacher was. And then even more importantly, I want to know why. And as I've researched students, I always get the exact same version, uh, two different versions of that answer, Jesse. It's always one of these two things when I ask them, why was that teacher your favorite teacher? And they either say, because I know that teacher truly cares about me. That teacher cares about what I'm doing and about me as a person. And the other thing that I consistently hear is, my teacher is happy to be there. I can tell. Okay. And it's interesting. We went in and did a happiness curriculum in a fifth grade classroom. And they had to come up with a way to, first of all, they had to um, come up with a pain point, And then they had to come up with like a community project. These fifth graders said the number one thing they notice about their teachers in the school is that they're super stressed all the time. Yeah. And that was like, that blew up in my face, right? That these fifth graders are picking up on our levels of stress and our levels of unhappiness. They are picking up on that as well. And so to me, a happiness curriculum, a wellness curriculum is just as important as an academic curriculum because we don't just want these kids to go out into the world and be like great at their jobs or be great mathematicians. Like we truly want them to leave our classrooms and go out into the world and contribute in a positive way. And I believe the way we do that is by also teaching them what used to be called these character skills, right? Like right, right. back in the day, we used to teach like perseverance and, and all of those skills. We used to teach that. And then we had this like massive shift to just academics only. And I think right. in the process, we've lost teaching our children about values. Yeah, yeah, we've... Um... Yeah, I definitely, I've seen a, one of my focuses for a while is in schools or systems that, uh, that do different types of character education. Uh, and I mean, there's a lot of different names. The, um, it was under a different name at the time, but basically the, the Department of Education 
uh, oh man, now it's been a while. I think 19, like early 1900s though, basically uh, had like the seven virtues of education and the academic concepts was only one of them and everything else was about being productive and being a good citizen and being a good family person and being, you know, all these things that are still absolutely essential, but, but right, that if we don't actually teach them actively, how would many, many students ever find out that that's a thing we want? Um, it's almost a little frightening. I know like for me at least, uh, I was a little more high school, especially kind of the age, uh, I was in like 14 to 20, 21, 22 year olds. Um, but I know I definitely still think about fifth graders kind of as like, you know, they're becoming older, but they're like, they're kids. They wouldn't possibly understand that your teacher is stressed out. And instead you're saying it's the number one thing that's being noticed is like, oh, my, my teacher seems miserable, <laughs> which is not a good sign for our profession. So hopefully, hopefully here at Teacher Empowerment and Strobel Education, we can both um, continue helping teachers model the happiness that we want our students to know. Um, that really, I, I think it's in the same way. Like if you didn't know math, you would be a bad math teacher. So how can you be a good happiness teacher if you're not feeling happy yourself? And that, that makes sense to me there. Um, so social proof. All right, so you've got a few different projects and websites and we will include links to them, but I wanted to give you a few minutes. Uh, if people are watching this and they're as excited as I am to like A, know that we can control 40% of our happiness just with some habits that we can start building up one at a time so that we don't burn ourselves out on becoming happy. Um, where can they find out more? Do you have some books, projects? I know you do consulting. Um, what is the next step? And we will include links to most of these as well, but what is the next step for people if they want to find out more from you? So yeah, if you want to connect with me, you can go to strobeleducation.com um, and you scroll to the very bottom and there's a little newsletter link um, and you can sign up for our newsletter. What that does is that like lets you know about upcoming workshops but there's also a little box on there that you can check that says, yes, I wanna receive joy drops. So joy drops are weekly happiness tips that I send out to um, not just teachers, but to everyone, just a little way to remind them of what to do to keep their mindset in check. Or sometimes I share a personal struggle. I just try to keep it real and authentic. So you can go there. And then I also um, have a private Facebook group called the Teach Happy Tribe. Um, and that is a Facebook group that's not just for educators, although we have a ton of educators in it, but it's also where I go live every week and I, I do some trainings on this topic. Um, and then we're, we're having a, the first ever teacher happiness retreat this summer in Brown County, Indiana. Um, it's going to be called Renew, Recharge, Reignite. And we are going to teach these habits to our educators because we want them to focus on themselves and personal self-care and reclaiming their joy in their life again. So there's three spots right there where you can find me um, for educational stuff. Excellent. Thank you. Um, that retreat sounds excellent. I, yes, a, a PD that's focused not just on here's some ways you can serve your students, uh, especially oftentimes the subtext is at the cost of your own sanity, um, you know, or like, hey, here's a way to turn every student into a thousand data points you have to track actively. But the idea of actually focusing on yourself uh, definitely aligns with some empowerment summit stuff here, um, which is great to hear. So uh, I do want to say another way you can find out a little bit more. 
on uh, on your website, on Kim's website, she's got two different courses that you can enroll for. One is a growth mindset course and one is a genius hour course. Um, genius hour, if you're not familiar, showing up in a few schools, uh, the idea is essentially if you've heard of the Google 20%, basically Google lets their employees work one day a week on just whatever random projects they want to, um, but a huge number of their most successful projects at Google come from that 20% of kind of creative free time. Same idea in a school. Um, obviously, we'd get in a little trouble if we took every Friday just to let our students do anything they wanted because we do have some standards. But that idea of how for an hour a week or how do you create this genius hour that's entirely student driven um, and all of the details, so to, to not pigeonhole the course too much, but all of the details about that genius hour are in her course. Now, for everybody who has that VIP all access pass, um, or if you've got that thumb drive as well that's going to have the entire summit on it. With your all access pass, you are going to have the, the digital um, kind of ad that Kim Strobel is including is a 15 minute section from that course to give you an idea of the growth mindset course, a 15 minute section to give you an idea of what that exclusive content is all about and um, get you interested, give you some useful information about the growth mindset that you can apply as well as let you know if that's something you might want to do a little bit more of. That's something that she doesn't have anywhere else. You cannot just get this 15 minute section unless you have one of these VIP. IP passes. Um, and again, if you were kind of like held back, and I know the price has gone up if you're watching this in the summit already, uh, it's a $97 pass currently, but you do get that same affiliate commission as one of the teachers. So if you have three or four other teachers that you think would benefit from this summit, if they get passes themselves, we'll actually pay you to have your pass because you're going to get that affiliate link as well, right? Uh, so if you are interested in that 15 minute pass along with the entire summit and all of the other content from speakers, it is not too late. You can definitely register for that all access lifetime access pass uh, for our teacher empowerment summit. So with our little infomercial for the 15 minute growth mindset out of the way and all that other content, Kim, do you have uh, any closing thoughts that you would like to share with all of the teacher empowerment summit attendees this year? Yes, I just think that we, you know, I believe in the philosophy that we are 100% responsible for our life. And all of us get caught in the excuses trap, you know, I don't have time or the expectations are too high. But truly, when it comes down to it, we all have 100% responsibility for how we lead our life. And so I really push teachers to do that self care, like, to make sure that you, you are not selfish for putting yourself first some of the time. And that that's really important. It's really hard, especially for women. It's, they're so used to taking care of everyone else first, but then that leaves them really depleted and really burned out of their life. And I tell people all of the time, like self-care is really important. You know, I think that nine out of 10 times, you should get yourself out of the school door by 4 p.m. You have to, you have to leave things undone. You, you know, your, per, your personal well-being is so important and you have a right to reclaim that again. And that's my biggest hope is that you give yourself permission to get your life back within this very important profession that truly needs you at your best, but that you deserve to to fill your own cup up and make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Excellent. 
Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you sharing that with us today and letting us share that with so many other teachers. Um, so for now, that is Kim Strobel and I will see you in the next video. Goodbye, much luck.